0: The Texas Renaissance Festival Oh, the very same The very same festival Because you went to Disney last week Which is why Uh we had a bye week Uh, And also because uh, I fell asleep And then Christina fell asleep And then we were both asleep Um, (laughs) And those two things are the same But I would say you going to (laughs) Disney Me going to Texas Renaissance Festival Probably the same Probably the same I think the same Well, I will say this I think maybe the same amount of money spent Unfortunately Because I did buy a sword and and a crown You're talking about a sword Like well, oh, it's incredibly sharp. Like, Connor's <laughs> really afraid. He won't let me play with it. But I have to practice if I'm going to protect the family.
1: It's actually like, sword or-
0: Yeah, like, uh, you know, I went to, like, a real Goldilocks situation where I was just <laughs> like, these are too fancy. And then I went to the second sword place and I was like, these are all dull. And they're like, yeah, they're for children. And I'm like, well, that's stupid. Well, I and think- then I went to the third place and he was like, these are very sharp. And I was like, how much <laughs> do they cost? And he was like, several hundred dollars. And I was like, do you have one for $150? And he was like, yeah and it was great because it was like my size like it's just my size uh huh it's a Chelsea sized sword which means and it's which means like I won't get like overwhelmed trying to use it to protect my family okay Connor's (laughs) been very very clear that he will only agree to survive the apocalypse with me if I do all the work right okay so
1: and he and that's sort of a non-negotiable yeah he said otherwise he
0: goes he goes basically I'm sitting right and if you want to kind of like survive around me (laughs) and then
1: be be his guest Yeah,
0: yeah yeah then that's that's fine but I'm sitting Please. and I was like great uh, and I was like at least he doesn't require a lot of food. <laughs> that I mean that's true. Connor like all of us has gained weight during the pandemic but that just means that he's gone from like a thin man to like a, a lanky man. Right. Uh, but his mom like won't stop talking about it like in a mom way which is really oh. cute where like every time <laughs> we've seen his mom she's just been like Connor like you're so like built you're so like filled out you're oh, so good. thick. Good. And I'm like good. oh my god I can't believe we've entered like thick Connor era. <laughs> but like thick Connor era is still just like 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 a swimmer Like a soccer player Yeah And I bet that, <laughs> I bet that like He loves that uh, Well you know If you know one thing about Connor <laughs> Which all of you do Because he's been on this podcast Is that he loves being spoken about he Yes loves, He loves people to be like Oh your body Let's mm-hmm. talk about it
1: Yeah that is a personal <laughs> like high top tier like good time
0: yeah like he sits down at the bar when like all of our friends are gathered and he's like my body thoughts let's go thoughts what do you think my ass in these pants (laughs) yes please he did get like hit on in like the weirdest way at workhorse last week you would have loved it okay uh he was sitting we were sitting outside he was at a bench and this guy comes up and says uh wow you're looking really great from behind again because connor's entered his thick era (laughs) and so he's Mm -hmm. like you're looking real great from behind and then connor said oh what about up front and then the guy went oh eh. and then he walked away <laughs> but then he later explained that it was because he thought that connor was his friend so i think he said the kind of like real flirty <sighs> thing and then came around and saw that connor was indeed a stranger and panicked mm. he had like a gay panic <laughs> like oh fuck oh, God. oh no okay he's like well, yeah. i was just trying to be gay with my friend as a joke but now this is a real man i have to make it clear <sighs> I, <laughs> I panicked <laughs> how was your week
1: disney was um was amazing Magical. i think that pretty magical pretty magical time. Mm-hmm. I feel like being an early third like in my early 30s the earliest the earliest of the 30s that I could be possibly and enjoying Disneyland with my disposable income mm-hmm. that, you know that I get to have which is which is a privilege um, mm-hmm. and doing that. It makes me realize how like actually we should kind of feel a bit sorry for the boomers who like <laughs> who would I will never feel sorry for boomers <laughs> but go ahead. Well, I mean just from just like an like an empathic kind of way and just like having to do any of that with children because you had your first child when you were 21 years old, etc. Well,
0: you know the horror is that there are some millennials that have children, so I'll just feel bad for them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's yeah, fair. I don't want to do anything with kids. Uh... <laughs> You have to, at the very least like you have to plan out everything have you
1: seen that TikTok that's from I think it's from Love on the Spectrum where uh-huh. it's like would you like to have kids and she's like absolutely not no never no and they're like well so when you do that you really shut off conversation so let's try it again would you like to have kids and she's like absolutely not I think they're a waste of time and money <laughs>
0: She's like, this is one conversation that I'm happy to shut down, like, at the start. At
1: the beginning of it. That's fine.
0: Uh, no, I. it's very fun. I get to have, like, a conversation with my OB-GYN next, oh, like, next month, which is coming up soon, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, About, like, getting my pussy burned out. And um, and by that. Haven't I not told you about getting your pussy burned out? Yeah, but I, I feel like I may have blocked it out. Oh, uh, that's fair. Uh, let me break it down for you. This is gonna be Chelsea's education corner. Because most people don't get, even if you've had, like, even if you had good sex education, which most people well, didn't. Uh, you probably didn't get to learn about this stuff because like women's bodies are so like ooh taboo so like I always considered myself to be somebody who was pretty like on the up and up and like I only recently learned about this so it goes like this so I'm glad you asked okay uh, I've been on I've had like an IUD for like the past like six years uh and I love it I think it's great I don't have to think about it it's like pretty much mistake proof the only downside of an IUD is that if you are the one in a hundred thousand or whatever chance of like getting pregnant it's a emergency which kind of sucks uh. Um, and it still has it's still giving you the hormone which like if you've never like investigated into that like you know there are studies that say like having a woman like on sort of like birth control hormone for decades might make you like at a higher risk for like breast or ovarian cancer
1: because it's telling your body to do things that it's also not it's doing it's
0: keeping it like in that state like because you yeah. know it's it's literally the hormone that makes your body think it's pregnant so uh, it's kind of keeping you in a heightened hormonal state they're still learning a lot about that correlation whether or not there's actually a causation Mm -hmm. in that correlation but even so like you're just pumping your body full of hormones and I don't really want to do it anymore Yeah. so (laughs) uh, we've been like exploring some like other options like potentially vasectomy first but then I learned about uterine ablation or as I like to call it because of how I am getting a pussy burned out Right. it's when they so they numb you up obviously sure and then they stick a spout up there and they pour in either lava hot or ice cold like below freezing water and they just they just oh. they just blast it out and what that does is it prevents your uterus from being able to make a lining. Now here's the real benefit Eleanor is in addition to being mostly infertile from that you also don't get your period unlike other kinds of like birth control.
1: Yeah.
0: So because you can't even because you can no longer make a uterine lining which is what like a little like pre-baby attaches to like, sure. a fetus, yeah. embryo whatever. Um, But also so it's what sheds And creates your period Yeah And periods suck They're annoying yeah. They're stupid
1: Yeah but that I like don't
0: a... respect them.
1: <laughs> Sounds like a pretty Intense situation
0: Even yeah, think about it The <clears throat> other kinds of Permanent birth control That you can have Either you still Get your period Right Or like for example Like tubal ligation um, Where they tie your tubes You still get your period Because you still have A uterus and a uterine lining Or the big mama jamma Of all of it A hysterectomy Where you get Your uterus removed And then and you,
1: then you, have you to do Hormone you, replacement Yeah,
0: you do hormone replacement therapy for the rest of your life, or at least until you would have like lost all your hormones anyway. But with uh, getting your pussy burned out, you just (laughs) you get the best of both worlds. You Uh, can (laughs)
1: you cannot lock eyes with me and say that to me.
0: Ellie's reeling in like a you shut your mouth when you're talking to me. I am just saying, if you're out there, Mm. you have a vagina, you don't want to get pregnant, you don't want to have your pyramid, consider, consider, Ellie, look at me. Uh huh. Consider getting your pussy, Brenda. Perfect. Josie he was the title of your topic? <laughs> Uh, I'm so excited to bring this topic to you. I don't know if you have heard about this yet. I feel like there's a good chance that you didn't because I feel like when the conversation was at its peak, you were in Disney, mm-hmm. experiencing Disney things. Uh huh. Um, and I think we can have a. But even if you have heard about it, I think we can have a really fun conversation. So the title <laughs> okay. of the title of my the title of my topic is a kidney, pity, and twelve chunky monkeys.
1: A kidney, a pity, and twelve chunky monkeys.
0: Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds insane (laughs) uh, But I will say I think if you had Read about this You would know immediately So I think this means That you don't know Which is I don't (gasps) know
1: Don't know what I don't know You don't know what
0: you don't know You said like this
1: happened while I was in Disney Yeah What, was, what happened while well, I was Well you know in how Disney? like You
0: know that old joke about how like uh, Every single day someone's the mayor of Twitter And like the goal of Twitter is it's to, never to not be, be in the, Yeah Yeah This is a mayor of Twitter situation
1: <sighs> Okay 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 But I think
0: it was either when you were at Disney Or you were prepping go This is
1: probably not related But I have been thoroughly enjoying The cross platform adoration Of whether that 13 year old pug has bones or not
0: I know <laughs> I'm so glad that like bones no bones is like reaching. Yeah, like, you just see on Twitter, it's a bones day, and you know what it means. Yeah, and you're like, Oh, it's bones day. Oh. It's, oh, we got this. You had a bones day. Um, I know today was a bones day, and I was still bone tired, if you know what I mean. <laughs> but it gave you a little bit of oomph. But then I just remembered, I was like, Well, if noodle can stand, I can send this email, right? So are the same, <laughs>
1: exactly. But it's not that.
0: It's not bones, but I mean we can talk about it. dude, we can have a <laughs> noodle the pug as long as you want, but that's not my topic, no. <sighs> but it's it's gonna hit, I think, a lot of things that you and I already talk about. Um
1: Death. <laughs> sex Bullshit.
0: <laughs> no. Uh creative process.
1: Mm. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay Um. And yeah I think we're gonna I think we're gonna fun both. Okay well Wow What is your topic?
1: I'm so glad that you asked <laughs> <laughs> My topic is Uh oh spooky And <laughs> it's called Keeping it in the family
0: In the family
1: Keeping it in the family Yeah
0: Uh oh spooky Keeping it in the family Uh oh spooky Is kind of in parentheses Yeah Yeah
1: It's among my It's like within my Uh oh spookiness
0: <laughs> Yeah I'm, I'm seeing a face journey It's a face journey Because Connor and I were about this earlier this morning but i know this is not what your topic is but what if it is i know it's not mm-hmm. uh we were talking about how uh, a friend of his got too high and was like when is all of the incest and porn gonna stop like how like everything's <laughs> like what are you doing step bro and then i was like i don't know i don't think it's gonna stop i think i think the allure of step bro or step sis is that it's a person in your house <laughs> that and you, that's hard to be that you already know about <laughs> yeah <You're just already laughs> but in your house i think i think
1: Whoa. the same way that good would. so much science <laughs> being undone with this
0: one point of view it's, and unlike I, your actual brother or sister they're not related to uh, you but it is a person in your house already in
1: my house so
0: so is that your topic um <laughs> you're beat red
1: no and i want you to
0: know that i did say i know this isn't your topic <laughs> But (laughs) Oh god That in a way In a way In a way Is it about step siblings? Mm. Is it about real siblings? Sometimes Is it about incest?
1: Sometimes Oh
0: my god (laughs) It's not about that thing where like If you meet a family member when you're already an adult You find them attractive No (laughs) Hey you've heard about that right? No (laughs) (laughs) Why have you been researching this late at night? (laughs) I wasn't I wasn't I heard about Uh it
1: I, I heard have about met it. About a family member.
0: And I'm like, what do I do? No, it's a real thing because like we uh-huh. as animals are predisposed to find people that already look like this attractive. Um, but something happens in your brain with all your family members to make you like repulsed at the idea of them finding them sexually attractive Not from like, a young age. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> but that doesn't have a chance to develop if you don't meet them when you're a child. Mm. So there's a weird phenomenon of family members meeting as adults for the first time. And then like being like, I don't know why, but I just am so in love with them. And it's like
1: <laughs> I and, have a boner and this yeah. is awkward.
0: And psychiatrists are like, oh, we know why. Like it's not your fault, but also don't. <sighs> oh So is that's, that but that's not what you're talking about? That's not what
1: no. No, okay. no. That's like a much more A24 perspective on what I'm gonna talk oh about. Oh my
0: god. <laughs> okay. Uh do you wanna go first? Sure. Okay.
1: Alright, so yes, this is called keeping it in the family Oh god So King Charles, or Carlos II Of Spain Was the last Habsburg ruler of Spain Do you know anything
0: about the Habsburg family?
1: Oh, oh. They're not oh. the
0: ones Were they the ones that No, they're not the ones that were from Austria, right? Or were they? I
1: believe they were in I fact, do you remember, we'll are, there. are they the
0: family that Marie Antoinette is descended mm-hmm. from? And the only reason I remember this is I remember that Marie Antoinette's mother Had like a motto Because she had so many kids And it was like <laughs> (laughs) Other countries make war, but oh, thou happy Austria, make marriages.
1: Oh, no, yeah, that's a very good, like, little premonition into the topic. Okay, cool.
0: I'm excited. This is going to be disgusting. (laughs) Kind of, yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so, Carlos II of Spain was the last Habsburg ruler of Spain and okay. and like thankfully so. Uh-oh. <laughs> he was he was a pretty tragic figure through no fault all of his own, but due to the ironic desire of his family to maintain their bloodline. Oh, no, no. Yeah, which is like, you know, has popped up in history a bunch of royal families and royal bloodlines or whatever. You know, and then Game of Thrones. Yeah, have decided that oh, this is such a good idea for us to marry within our family and to keep our bloodline pure. And then they're like, uh oh, bottleneck genetics. But they didn't know about that.
0: <laughs> uh-oh. So, uh oh.
1: So Charles Carlos II of Spain was born November sixth, sixteen sixty one, and he became king in sixteen sixty five. So he was four years old. And so his mother was technically, like, you know, ruler, pageant, whatever that the is. Region. The regent. The regent, exactly. For 10 years until Charles was a teenager and he was born into this deep political strife in Europe because the habsburgs as you said originally from austria were really trying to just gain the entire continent through yeah. marriage like through royal marriages you didn't want to get him yeah but you're right so they came from austria and their big goal was the french throne that was like end game mm-hmm. they had gained rule of the netherlands belgium and parts of germany but unfortunately charles II was too deformed and intellectual Stunted to Ooh. to rule Spain, yeah. and so even
0: even beyond being four, or is like that how you're referring to being four?
1: Uh, beyond <laughs> being four, yeah, no. Since way past four, this was clearly like not really gonna happen.
0: Yeah he
1: he, he wasn't allowed he wasn't allowed to walk until he was almost an adult, and they oh. didn't like his family, the Habsburgs, didn't bother to really educate him at all.
0: You kind of want to do that for somebody with like an important Who's job. like
1: to be a king. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so he was like completely illiterate and utterly God dependent geez. on everyone around him. And so then he had this arranged marriage to Mary Louise of Orleans, not New Orleans, but Orleans, the original in mm-hmm. France somewhere. And um, the French ambassador wrote to the Spanish court in 1679 that Marie wanted absolutely nothing to do with King Carlos II because the Catholic king is so ugly as to cause fear as he looks ill. (laughs) That's so sad. Which is very sad. So essentially he had this uh, pituitary hormone deficiency that made him short, impotent, infertile, very weak, and had a lot of digestive problems. And then he also had a condition that gave him like extra weak muscles and an abnormally large head. Because that's what happens after sixteen generations of inbreeding. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah.
0: like that family tree is just this yeah, it's just it's, connect, just a,
1: like a, it's a web. It's just a web.
0: It's a family web. Oh, yeah. That's not good biologically
1: at all. Yeah. So, I mean, at the time, marriages between biological relatives were like kind of common in Europe. Everyone was doing Mm it. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's a person in your house. I mean, Elizabeth II, Philip was her own third cousin. Mm -hmm. So, it's like
0: still happening. At least uh, a third cousin, I think, is, like... A little further afield? Yeah. Yeah.
1: But the Spanish Habsburgs engaged in the practice with particularly dangerous abandon. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, nine out of the eleven total marriages that occurred among them during the 184 years they ruled Spain were incestuous.
0: Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, okay, I, uh, this is controversial. <laughs> I am not saying that I think it is okay. I am saying that absent the kind of bo- like understanding of science Science and genetics oh. that we have now I understand oh, being yeah, like absolutely. my blood is great Divine. and I love my family and I think we're good well I mean and it's, it's so... even more than that
1: though wasn't it? it was like thank God has chosen us and so therefore right. our blood is special and yeah. unique and we don't want to like taint it with
0: like peasant
1: blood with, <laughs> with anyone else yeah so these generations 16 generations of inbreeding among Spanish Habsburgs resulted in this very infamous facial deformity that you will see in a lot of uh, paintings around that time. And it's something called the Habsburg jaw. And it's essentially... I have...
0: I have seen this. I didn't know that was why the Habsburg jaw. Please keep going. Is essentially
1: a very large and um, a large underbite where your like your lower jaw is much bigger than the rest of your skull and it doesn't line up with your top teeth. It curves kind of underneath, and that is a result that comes from the Habsburg inbreeding.
0: I mean, there's an underbite, and then there is like a a, no middle sliders. Yes, and that's what Habsburg jaw. Yes, yeah, exactly. Like it had to be hard to like eat and breathe. Yeah And
1: Yes So And apparently This particular Deformity Was what caused their downfall Really So Yeah because they couldn't Due due to a bunch of incest Essentially And This is also the same With uh, pedigree dogs And that's why A lot of Very like Pure breed I'm saying that in quotation marks Like dog breeds Have a lot of Genetic deformities And things that like Really hamper The quality of their life Because we were like Oh how pretty So it's kind of The same idea in a way but it basically If you keep Using the same family To recreate Over and over And over and over again Then specific Like deformities And mutations That are sort of like Once in a blue moon And most humans Become like Funneled into that Genetic pool And Stuck
0: in that web
1: Stuck in that web And then you Ooh. get Something like A Habsburg jaw I mean, Charles II really was really the end of, Carlos II was really the end of the whole Habsburg family because everything, he was the end of the bloodline. He was born impotent. He couldn't walk. He had really no like intellect or brain power. He was just being like, it was a propped up king. I was like, he's Ugh. the king of Spain. And he was like, huh? What? And then they were like, I mean, even
0: if for a king, I think what a miserable life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty tough time. So yes, yeah, so this Habsburg jaw is this protrusion of the lower jaw to the point that is significantly larger than the upper jaw and it creates this underbite that That, like we were saying, the differentiate is like it interferes with your speech and makes it almost like actually impossible to fully close your mouth. Mm -hmm. That was what many, many members of this family had. If you look through those sort of, you know, those classic portraits and busts and things that you see, you'll see this jaw. So Marie Antoinette even had a Habsburg Mm jaw. She had an underbite, but it was like much more subtle and it kind of created this pouted lip that everyone was like, oh my God, she's so hot.
0: But So you can see it a little bit in, depending on the portrait, like if her portrait, portrait is at like three quarters like her face is like angled slightly away from the painter mm-hmm. you can see it and like you said they who knows what it really looks like in real life because i mean i've heard that like you know a lot of royal portraits there was a bit of a beauty filter oh yeah going you could on. just
1: point at them and be like she's beautiful and they're yeah. like
0: okay very good yeah <laughs> absolutely so you're gonna want to paint her beautiful like she is mm-hmm. and there's just like a i little, mean like,
1: that's where the whole warts and all with cromwell comes from yeah that when he was being painted because he was in charge of england he was like no paint me What's and all, like don't make me pretty. Make me like paint me as make I me am. Make me mad. Paint me as I am. Yeah. Who? Yeah. <laughs> um okay so <laughs> you scared sorry, cheese ball. sorry cheese uh let's talk a little bit about habsburg the house of habsburg yes let's do it so their rule in spain may have sort of officially begun in 1516 but the habsburgs originally of german slash austrian extraction back then it was a bit the same mm-hmm. not so much anymore they have been controlling various regions of europe since the 13th century so this is very much like a game of thrones family that have yeah. been like making moves through their entire like whole thing where none of the rest of history has really been giving a shit turns out until Mm -hmm. like later on but so their Spanish reign was set into motion when Habsburg ruler Philip I of Burgundy which now includes Luxembourg, Belgium France and the Netherlands sort of all pieces of it in that area he married Joanna of Castile who was the female heir to the throne of what is now much of Spain Mm -hmm. that was in 1496 and then after a decade of political wrangling and skirmishes with competitors for power in Spain Philip I took the throne of Castile in 1506, six years after having Father Charles V, who himself took the Spanish throne in 16 in 1516. So this is the sort of like the Habsburgs really like created the royal family of Spain. Okay. However, just as these Spanish Habsburgs themselves had received the crown through marriage, they knew that it was that it easily could pass out of their hands in the same way. It kind of reminds me of like the like original Kardashians,
0: mm-hmm. of like
1: making smart marriages but also being kind of famous themselves.
0: Yeah. Oh, you mean like Chris and Robert, like the guy that defended OJ? Yeah. And kind of being like, yeah, like we're cool and like connected. This. And then his kids are like, oh, more, please. Yeah. More of that, please. That was great. That was really fun. And the whole family benefited again. So. So
1: So these Spanish Habsburgs are like Hey wouldn't it be cool if To preserve the success We kind of just like kept things within The family Let's
0: keep it to ourselves
1: Let's keep it within the family Yeah. And I guess I mean like they didn't really go into detail About how that conversation went But Mm -hmm. everyone seems to have been like Okay and so oof, the inbreeding became like a whole thing and they began so they they would only look for royal spouses within their own family and with uh, you know after like 16 generations this became a real issue <laughs> Yeah, Mm, because they didn't know about that whole part of it so it wasn't just the crown that passed down from generation to generation but these, as we've talked about, series of genes that produce these birth defects and in addition to being socially and culturally taboo, incestuous marriages are harmful in that they lead to higher rates of miscarriages and stillbirths Mm -hmm. and neonatal deaths because of this genetic bottlenecking whole thing and so only half of the Habsburg children survived to the age of 10 which was like, at the time even say even for the time.
0: Yeah. Not the, great.
1: <laughs> the 80, They had like an 80% survival rate of children in Spanish families in general at that period. And so 80% and
0: 50% are pretty different. Yeah. See that's something I kind of I always wonder about with these things. Cause like just like we were talking about, like, there's this belief, right? Like there's like a divine right to rule. God has chosen our family. Yeah. And I'm like, but if God keeps killing all your kids. Yeah, is that something, they're, or is the, or maybe is that the subject's fault because they're being bad? Or maybe have you misunderstood this entire <laughs> thing. So all of it.
1: In fact, yeah, yeah, you've taken it a little bit too literally. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're like, well, that kid was bad. <laughs> wow, well, now.
1: So, obviously, naturally kind of harmful recessive genes normally peter out thanks to sort of like healthy dominant genes. Make yourself a little tower. Mm-hmm. Okay. Queen Victoria of the United Kingdom, of the UK, she kind of unwittingly spread the pretty recessive gene at the time, hemophilia, and crossed the entire continent apparently because of the intermarrying of the European royal families. Is that
0: where... Uh, it's like the
1: weak Victorian boy blood.
0: <laughs> I was gonna say, in the last... Not the last czar of Russia, but the last... Like um, Grand Duke of Russia That would have become The next Tsar Had he not been mm, Mm -hmm. Killed in a basement Uh, He was a hemophiliac And I Yes Was that the guy That Rasputin was like He's got demons in him Yeah That was (laughs) why The Tsarina Was so Susceptible to Rasputin's Kind of whole shtick Mm Because he was like Oh only I Can cure your son Uh, And spoiler alert He did not
1: He super didn't No he did not do that The end of the line That we started off with Charles II of Spain Carlos He was nicknamed El Hecaz Zido, which is called text One. Okay. It's pretty mean. Nice. And his lower jaw was so pronounced that he couldn't eat or speak.
0: And it's gotta be miserable. He was also,
1: shh, this is just a real mean list from Wikipedia. He was also short, weak, impotent, mentally handicapped and suffered numerous intestinal problems and didn't say a word till he was four years old. So it was a tough time. Tough time to be Charles II. His father, Philip, had married his own sister's daughter. So his niece? Yep. <laughs> yep. So, uh, um, Uh, He was both Charles's father and great uncle No Yeah And then so just due to the centuries of These kind of marriages That led up to this final heir Carlos II Modern researchers have found that the inbreeding coefficient, which is the likelihood that someone would have two identical genes due to their parents' level of relation, was almost as high as that of a child born of an incestuous relationship. So he was pretty, pretty far gone. Yeah. Uh, uh, He was not able to produce any children of his own, and he died when he was just 38 years old, which was the accumulation of two centuries worth of harmful traits being passed down to a single person. All, like they thought that keeping power within the like that's the irony right is that they're like right. keeping the power within our family is what's going to make us really strong and ultimately made them super weak and that was the like his his death marked the end of the entire Habsburg family
0: right because she said he was he was unable to yeah he wasn't doing that yeah and any like
1: wife that had been sold to go over there was like mm, absolutely
0: no. not Yeah, so no. like, look I want to be a queen but not like this yeah <laughs>
1: Not like this. Um,
0: Eh, Well, look, uh, life finds a way and in this way finds a way it was by like putting an end to this by any means necessary
1: yeah so just to finish it off from the the lead researcher professor Roman Villas of the University of Santiago de Compostela says the Habsburg dynasty was one of the most influential in Europe but became renowned for inbreeding which was its eventual downfall we show for the first time that there is a clear positive relationship between inbreeding and the appearance of the Habsburg jaw. Villas and company made their determinations by having facial surgeons examine dozens of portraits of Habsburgs to evaluate their degree of jaw deformity and then analyzing the family tree and its genetics to see if a higher degree of relatedness slash inbreeding among certain family members made for a greater amount of deformity in the people so they're using like the old portraits to try and like get their best guess of like the deformity of of, like the the degree of the deformity of the jaw Uh
0: uh-huh
1: and sure enough, that is precisely what the researchers found, that Charles II unsurprisingly singled out as having one of the greatest degrees of deformity and relatedness. As the family line got closer to Charles, the jaw got more pronounced and mm-hmm. more deformed. And the findings may not stop there. In addition to the Habsburg jaw, researchers may have plenty more to study regarding this family and its unusual genetic makeup. And so it's sort of even to this day serves as a kind of like human laboratory for researchers because the level of inbreeding is so high that it's like almost like a what's the thing like what's it called in science where you have like the thing that you can base your like a constant or a, oh, a control. It's like Yeah. Yeah. That's what they're saying basically is that in terms of like family genetic makeup, mm-hmm. this family can serve as a control for what inbreeding looks like.
0: Yeah. Don't <laughs> just don't do it. Can you imagine mm-hmm. going to like like your OBGYN and they have like um all the those different brochures and one of them is just like inbreeding inbreeding it's just a picture of the Habsburg jaw like getting worse over generations don't 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 bad like I know it's a person in your house but
1: yeah they might be right there but no don't so yeah (laughs) that's uh keeping it in the family
0: gross yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm Well, it's spooky
1: season. <laughs>
0: that is, it was very spooky. Thank you. Uh, I love it. You're not going to believe this, uh, but incest, in a way, <gasps> is going to come up in my topic Perfect. just a little bit. It's
1: like we knew. Just,
0: I wish we didn't, but yeah, apparently we did. <laughs> Yeah. Did you interact at all with the bad art friend discourse? The bad art friend. No. No. Oh my god. Not <laughs> this is gonna at all. be so much fun. Oh god. Okay. Okay. So on October fifth, yeah, New York Times dropped this article called "Who Is the Bad Art Friend?" and it is the tale of two women <laughs> who are both writers embroiled in Uh-oh. what feels like a tiny slight that like grew like a splinter into like just this fucking insane legal spiritual creative battle oh my god and everyone has an opinion on who is the true bad art friend okay (laughs) like whose side are you on yeah it's a real whose side are you on so I would like to present to you the tale of Don Dorland and Sonia Larson okay and what I really like about this which we're gonna get into is like this is really going to kind of like encapsulate like a lot of things that you and I talk about like when we talk about writing Uh um, like who owns your story who owns true Cruise. Oh Baines! Oh yeah, it's it's gonna go there. So okay, but first you have to learn about Don Dorland. Uh, and Don Dorland is definitely the kind of person that, if we're being honest, like you and I have discussed, not life past. So we're just gonna get that out of the way. Okay. Don Dorland is at her heart like a nice person, and nobody nobody denies that. Um, she is maybe a person beyond being nice has made being nice part of her personality, and that uh-huh. I've and, seen. Many- Nightmares, yeah, yeah, and that is the part I think that grates a lot of people about Don Dorland. She's very quick to like overshare, uh-huh. tell you about like her life, uh, including one very specific part of her life that is the uh, impetus for this entire story. Okay, which is that in 2015, Don Dorland decided, seemingly kind of like apropos of nothing, because she wanted to uh, to donate her kidney, uh, and she wasn't donating her kidney to any particular person. Uh, she didn't know somebody who needed a kidney. She was just like, I'll do it. Yeah, it wasn't part of of like a church effort or anything or fundraising uh, nobody reached out to her she decided to do something called non-directed kidney donation which is when you just donate your kidney and then they find a guarantee there's going to be somebody that can use it right and so they create basically a um and especially in her case they create like a an organ of donation chain of just like you give a kidney to somebody who then gives part of their liver to somebody else who then gives a skin graft to somebody else and it, it goes on this chain because somewhere in that chain is somebody who needs something before they'll give something and then it all goes oh, down from there. Okay. Uh, so Don Dorland decided that she wanted to be a part of this because she just thought it was important to do something nice for someone else. Okay. And if you didn't know about Don Dorland's kidney donation, yes you did. Because she absolutely made sure that everyone <laughs> knew about her kidney donation. Going so far as to create a Facebook group where she added all of her kind of like close friends. Oh no. And people she knew. Oh no. Um, just for like private updates from Dawn about like her kidney donation journey okay good yes 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 yes. so this is like the (laughs) beginning of the story and it's kind of complicated right because that is a truly selfless thing to do and even if there are things about the way she went about it that are kind of grating, like I think making a Facebook group about it and like making a Facebook group and adding people not necessarily because people asked you to do that but because you just decided that they want to hear about it yeah yeah is a real choice but at the end of the day like she did say Save somebody's life. Yeah. Like, it's absolutely part of it. So, and she's that kind of person. So she makes this Facebook group. Uh, and amongst, like, you know, kind of, like, distant family members, some close friends, you know, maybe friends of her husband, she adds in a bunch of people from a writer's group that she's a part of. So in Boston, there's, like, a writing center collective called Grub Street. A lot of people go there to do seminars, attend workshops and panels, join writer's groups. Um, and there's absolutely a hierarchy, right? So, like, Don Dorland is somebody who has gotten an MFA in in creative writing but she's never been published so she will lead some workshops mm-hmm. um, but she's not part of like the cool group which is inexplicably called chunky monkeys <laughs> and is the cool group of like women writers that have all been published and are kind of like sort of like very like low to mid- level like you know like creative writing niche superstars okay like which is a world that you and I know not about creative writing and superstars but like you know, like people who have, like, a huge amount of fame and influence in a very small niche space. Yes, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that's what the Chunky Monkeys are. So, Dawn adds all of the Chunky Monkeys to her Facebook group, Um, and she's giving updates amongst some of the updates that she gives about this surgery and the recovery Uh, and the experience is, she is asked to write a letter to the person who will eventually receive kidney, uh, who's a stranger, and she shares the text of that letter. Oh. This is a segment of the letter, and it kind of really gives insight into what Donna's like. Personally, my childhood was marked by trauma and abuse. No oh, beans. I, d- <laughs> I didn't have the opportunity to form secure attachments with my family of origin. Positive outcome of my early life is empathy that it opened a well of possibility between me and strangers. While perhaps many more people will be motivated to donate an organ to a friend or family member in need, for me, the suffering of strangers is just as real. Throughout my preparation for becoming a donor, I focused a majority of my mental energy on imagining and celebrating. Oh, so Oh that's the end. That well that's just like a segment. And oh. it will it will come back and become important later. Okay. It is it is the gun in the first act. Oh beans. If you know what I Chekhov's mean. Chekhov's gun. It's Chekhov's gun. Oh shit. So so she does all this, she gets okay engagement but then you know a year goes by and she makes a post celebrating her kidneyversary her kidneyversary yeah her kidneyversary also uh, I did after like you know getting real deep on this discourse because it dominated Twitter for about 96 hours yeah I went and found Don Dorlin's Instagram account and like she does have just like all these posts of like her like in the hospital like kind of doing like a little bit of like a glamour pose and it's like mm-hmm. hashtag do more for each other
1: <laughs> wow well, wow that yeah. is really inspiring, to be honest. It's very
0: inspiring. <laughs> but you know who, I guess, didn't find it inspiring? The Chunky Monkeys. No, maybe because, not. <laughs> well, She's... because Don... Oh, no, this this is what I think thing that you're going to absolutely love. Okay. Don notices they're not commenting on her posts. Oh, come on, Chunky Monkeys. And in fact, none of them have even liked a single post. They've not even liked a single one? In her kidney Facebook group. What the hell? So Don Dorland does what any adult woman would do. Mm. Uh, and she writes one of these women an email. Perfect. Of a, hey, why is no one liking my kidney? Why doesn't any wait- Why don't you care about my kidney vest? I think that's the actual quote was just like, and then Don thought to herself, do writers not care about my kidney donation? <laughs> 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 so Don, Don. <laughs> Yeah So on July 20th 20, 2016 uh, Don writes an email To one of the writers In the Chunky Monkeys Named Sonia Larson <laughs> Sonia Larson Is in many ways Who Don wishes That she were She's a very successful Short story writer She's like Been in like Creative Fiction of America She's won a ton of awards She's out there doing it She's out there Successfully doing What Don is trying to do So It kind of makes sense that Don would want this woman's Admiration and respect. Right. And she'd want her to notice that she donated her kidney. Look at my kidney scores. So she starts with like the email, just like very normal. I'm just like, hey, oh my god, like how are you? Let's catch up. At this point in time, Dawn believes that she and Larson are like close friends. That or this is what Dawn claims now. Okay. <laughs> Sonia claims that they have never been friends and that mm. they are simply acquaintances at this point, who have like done these like writing workshops together. Yeah. And once again, I think all of us can maybe empathize with being on both sides of that experience. 100%. Uh, maybe thinking that somebody was more of your friend than they thought they were. And when you realize that it's very hurtful. Yeah. Also maybe having somebody that you maybe worked with like years ago and still talks to you like they're friends. And you're like, I am not trying to hurt your feelings, but yeah. like we are not friends. This is not the situation. It's not the situation. So, so Larson answered Dorland's message. And oh, I misspoke a second ago. It, this was in July of 2020. 2015, not July of 2016. Okay. So the very next day, July 21st, 2015, Larson responds to Dorlan, sort of like, "Hi, how are you? We should catch up." Email with a, "How have you been, my dear?" Doralyn replies immediately, kind of gives a rundown of like the workshop she's doing at Grub Street, you know, how well her husband's doing, all those things, and then she asks, "quote I think you're aware that I donated my kidney this summer, right?" <laughs> <laughs> dawn dawn come on God, you dawn. can't just go in like that oh just just wait all oh more. babe so then larson responds the only way that you can y- yeah oh yeah i did see that on facebook what a tremendous thing uh and then Don, dawn, dawn wondered oh this is also so important oh no i need you to know that dawn dorland is the person that pitched this story to the new york times so all these quotes that are like and then dawn wondered to herself <sighs> these aren't speculation on behalf of the this writer this is from Dawn this is what Dom was really wondering uh, if she really thought it was that great why did she need reminding that it happened <laughs> So at this point, hang on a second so at this point in time you might be thinking to yourself Eleanor Maine, that Don might be the bad art friend hey Don not great yeah yes I am thinking that well let's keep
1: going okay oh no uh,
0: so after that Don Dorland sees Sonia Larson at different writers conferences at some workshops at Grub Street they don't talk about the kidney which Don notices <laughs> <laughs> of course she does uh, things seem friendly but kind of cool she feels like everyone <laughs> that's like kind of like adjacent to Sonia or like the Chunky Monkeys suddenly seem to be very cool toward her. And she cannot uh, figure out why. Uh-huh. She's not. Okay. But then, the f- this is now a year later, June 2016, she finally gets a clue because one of her Facebook friends comments on one of her little kidney posts and says this. Sonia read a cool story about giving out a kidney. You came to my mind and I wondered if you were the source of inspiration. Still impressed you did this.
1: Wow. Uh, taking away the
0: thunder? Taking away the glory? of the kidney donation? So Dawn, as you can imagine, is a little confused at this point because it really seemed like Sonya didn't even care about her kidney. It really didn't seem
1: like she cared about it. It didn't
0: even seem like she cared about it, Ellie. Yeah, no, I'm getting that. And then... <laughs>
1: I'm I'm with her. I agree. It didn't seem like she get it at all.
0: So then and Don's like, if she didn't care, why would she write a story about a kidney donation and not tell me? Why would she do that? If you think kidney donation, you it's think so Don cool. Dorland. You think me. You think about and me. And I'm right here. And I'm I'm willing to talk about it with you. Okay. So So she's... she kind of stews on that for about six days, and then she decides <laughs> to email she decides to email her friend Sonia Larson. What a long like, six days. She said, Hey, I heard you wrote a Kidney donation story. Cool. Can I read it? Dawn. Dawn. Ugh. So, Larson writes back and says, yeah, she was working on a story, quote, about a woman who receives a kidney partially inspired by how my imagination took off after learning of your own tremendous donation. So then this is when we go back in time a little bit and okay. we get a little bit more background on Sonia Larson and what she has written here. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> so Sonia Larson is an Asian American writer who writes a lot about race relations. Okay. Um, She has a character named Chun Tao, who is also an Asian American woman, who is sort of like a recurring character in her short stories. So not all of her short stories about, are about Chun Tao, but a lot of them feature Chun Tao as sort of like the main character, first person narrator. Okay. So in this case, she has written a story about her character Chun Tao uh, getting in an, a, a car accident because she was driving drunk and then needing a kid uh, needing a kidney donation off of that kind of going into kidney failure as a result of the accident. And then a woman who she does not know is a stranger, who is a white woman woman decides to donate her kidney to Chun Tao. and how Chun Tao finds this woman to be so annoying <laughs> even though she is saving her life and like the complicated relationship the complicated feelings that would come up yep uh okay she names the story the kindest which is I think a pretty good name for for that story uh but it's also relevant says Don Dorlin later in legal documents oh boy because Don Dorlin is known for oh, for signing off all of her emails and always has with kind Don Dorlin so So, okay. So, so she writes the story and from Sonia, Sonia's point of view, it is not the same because it is not actually about a woman donates her kidney. It is about a woman who is receiving a kidney. For her, that is like a very important distinction. Right. However, the timeline here gets a little murky. Okay. Because... While she was working on this first iteration, which would have been 2015, 2016. So before Don reaches out. Yeah. Sonia takes her version of The Kindest to a company called Brilliance Audio. And they make an audio fiction reading of this short story. So this is, in essence, the first time that it's kind of like officially published. Okay. Uh, In this version, Sonia Larson has lifted word for word Don Don Dorland's kidney donation letter. Really? So remember that little piece that I read to you? Yeah. Yeah. This is what she wrote. It is it is word for word the same. My own childhood was marked by trauma and abuse. I wasn't given an opportunity to form secure attachments with my family of origin. But in adulthood, that experience provided a strong sense of empathy. While others might desire to give to a family member or friend, to me, the suffering of strangers is just as real. Damn. So she yeah. just took the whole thing? She took the whole you thing. You can't write that in your book. Oh, yeah. Here's where it gets even more black and white. As part of the later legal proceedings, which will become part of this, Sonia is also Group chatting with the Chunky Monkeys all about uh, this. Uh. And this is the part that I think maybe freaks me out the most as somebody who's a member of a lot of group chats. Right. Um, when Don Dorland eventually sues Sonia Larson over this story, their group chats get subpoenaed and become part of the, the public record. And that is how Don Dorland finds out that all of these women that she really respects and admires and thinks that are her close writer friends uh, have been making fun of her behind her back for years that she is the butt of their joke the object of their scorn no so after sonia shares her first version of the kindest with the chunky monkeys that includes this letter this is what she types to them i think i'm done with the kidney story but i feel nervous about sending it out because it literally has sentences that i verbatim grabbed from don's letter on facebook i've tried to change it but i can't seem to that letter was just too damn good (laughs) So at this oh. point, Ellie, who do you think is the bad art friend? The other one. <laughs> Sonia. Yes, that's that's bad. That's it's bad. Here's the thing. When you're an adult, and I think this is true, you don't have to like everyone. Right. And I don't I think I saw a lot of people being like, wow, Fox Sonya Larson and like Celeste Ng, who's like the writer of Little Fires Everywhere, who was also in this group making fun of Don Dorland. I was like, they never in a million years thought that Don would see those posts or those texts. Right. That does not excuse Sonia taking her letter verbatim, right? In some ways, it feels like I think you could definitely make the argument that like Dawn invited them into that group thinking that they were her friends, Mm -hmm. and that they would want to read these deep personal things like her letter to the the recipient um, as her friends. And so Sonia really took that letter in bad faith. Yeah. And you can tell because if it had been in good faith, she would have just called up her friend Don and said, I'm writing the story and I would love to use your letters like inspiration. Yeah. But this is where kind of like the crux of the legal argument comes into play because Don Dorland says that Sonia Larson stole her personal IP. She wrote out that letter and put it out online and Sonia stole it and then profited off of it. Right. First with the audio version. And then later she alters the the letter a little bit, um, changes some of the language although it is still very, very similar. Uh, And she submits it to a big writing competition for the city of Boston, where it's picked as the winner. and The whole script? Huh? The whole script or just the letter? The whole short story. Okay. Including letter. They don't know about it at this point. Yeah. Uh, So uh, it's chosen. And as part of like her prize package, this company is going to print... um, 30,000 copies of this short story and submit them like, or send them to like just residents of Boston, which side note, uh, Boston, you just get short stories in the mail for free. Like that's bonkers. What? We don't have anything like <laughs> that. Yeah. It's like some sort of like nonprofit thing where it's like, it's the summer of reading. So every summer we pick one short story from like a Bostonian and we send out just like that copies and like mailers. Yeah. So the kindest was, was chosen. Uh, and when Don Dorland finds this, finds this out. She's not happy. Yeah. Um, So the issue is that Don Dorland says this is her IP. Uh, Sudden Larson says that it wasn't creative writing. So therefore it was free game to be Mm. an inspiration point. Uh, The law does not agree. And it seems like Sonia knew that, which is why by the time she submitted it to the summer of reading competition, she had changed the letter. Uh, but they go back and forth they have a few more emails where Sonia basically says I see that you're merely expressing real hurt and for that I am truly sorry I myself have seen references to my own life and others fiction and it certainly felt weird at first but I maintain that they have a right to write about what they want as do I and as do you and to me this is really interesting because this is something I have thought about a lot a lot a lot and this is where incest comes in (laughs) is how much of other people's lives are fair game for your creative inspiration Mm, yeah what do you think like have you ever written about somebody yeah of course I have yeah yeah have you ever thought about asking them for permission
1: I think I I would do that if it was something that I planned on becoming public but there are also situations where knowing that I have not written it like yeah there's been many situations where like wow I wish like that would be so great in extra like like, I can see this taking off in that way and um I mean that's one of the reasons that I love atonement because I think there's a really interesting story about that Mm -hmm. of like the idea of taking people's lives and making them your own and what does that mean Mm -hmm. Um, but I think I've always felt like there is a line in terms of someone's personal really personal like family or traumatic story that I think deserves massively deserves like their um, permission but I haven't really yeah, I've not really been in a situation where I've had to really ask for that I feel like if I was to just submit something to a festival or to like Hmm. anything like that I would want to ask permission yeah
0: Mm -hmm. I think so too I think it would just be very scary to, to not ask permission to have something like this happen. Yeah. But although I think like, I think that Dawn would have less of a legal like to stand on if it weren't for the fact that part of what Sonia took was something that was written down. Like it seems arbitrary, but I think if it was just that Sonia had written a story about a kidney donation yeah. and Dawn had donated her kidney, mm-hmm. there's just, I don't think there's a judge in the world. Yeah. Like wh- no matter what you think about it ethically, but because there was a part of it that was written down that she kind of copy did, that was where she got herself in real trouble. Yeah. The reason I said like. Like there's this incest component because there's this moment that I think about all the time when I am thinking about this question because if I'm being totally honest with myself I wouldn't do it like for example like totally honestly there have been times that I've thought like like there are elements of like your story like your divorce that mm-hmm. I just think are very fascinating from a narrative <laughs> perspective sure but I'm not gonna even just beyond like the ethical part of it it would just be weird like we spend so much time together and talk all the time and our best friends it would be very weird to write about that and like not talk to you about it right there are people people that I don't talk to anymore and haven't spoken to in 10 years and I, and I lift things that like they said to me in conversation and I don't think about it yeah at all yeah if I'm being totally honest
1: and I think that's the same thing right it's like if yeah. you knew that it would it would have a a, a big emotional impact on someone else then mm-hmm. that's worthy of a conversation but if it is just like oh my god this thing happened to a friend of mine when I was like 11 years old and it's something that just has stuck with you yeah like you have a good enough a good enough grasp on things to know when something's going to
0: be an issue right yeah um some uh, of that is just social awareness which it does seem like it was maybe not Don Dorland's and apparently not Sonia Larson's strong no, It seems like they're really steamrolled over
1: that whole situation. Yeah. yeah.
0: So when I was in college, when I was a freshman in college, I took a playwriting course and we were all writing one act plays and we were, cause we were all like 18, 19 years old. We were really trying to like just outgun each other in terms of like who could write like most of our up thing mm-hmm. like it was just full of like weird gore and like creepy like relationship stuff and like uh it, it was it was very funny like teenage edge shit and so mine was about a brother and sister who have an incestuous relationship is like and <laughs> uh <laughs> and I didn't have and slash do not have siblings but at the time I was very close with a brother and sister who were like close to the same age uh-huh. like they were like my closest friends at that time uh they were like 18 months apart they lived together mm-hmm. they were friends in addition to being siblings and so i was basing a lot of like obviously they were not in love with each other as far as i know i'm pretty certain uh <laughs> but so i wasn't basing anything of that but in terms of like mannerisms like how you talk to your sibling how you hang out with your sibling um stories from their childhood like i was i was putting a lot of that in there uh and then we had one class where we had like a real work right? uh come <laughs> talk to us and we could like ask them anything and i asked them I was like hey I'm writing this story it is about a brother and sister within like an incestuous sexual relationship I am basing it partially on like a brother and sister I know life I worry that they would be offended if they knew do you think that like I should like ask their permission to talk about it and this person got like right up in my face and was just like being a writer it's never asking for permission (laughs) They're like, your toolbox is the entire world and everything in it. And if you start asking for permission, you are like denying yourself the creative freedom to tell the story as it is like living inside you. Like just, uh-huh. I mean, I'm like paraphrasing, but it was yeah. super intense, like in my face. <laughs> oh like, my God. Basically, like they were offended. Like they were like, you are being a bad writer by even thinking asking about doing Asking that question, I'm, P- I'm PO'd. And I was like, and I remember like even then being like, okay, but like I still have to know. And like live with these people, yeah. Like, this is the reality of it is, like, yeah, this could ruin our friendship. Oh my gosh, yeah. Like, it's I like... was just kind of hoping for, like, do you have experience with this? What happened? Yeah, uh, and instead it was just like, you gotta draw a line in the sand. What's so funny is it kind of seems like that is really truly how Sonia Larson saw it, yeah. Uh, Don Dorland didn't see it that way, uh, <laughs> and she starts, she starts basically like a one woman campaign to take this story down.
1: Oh, beans,
0: she starts. Emailing like American Short Fiction, which had printed the story. Um, she is emailing. She's, like, she's emailing Grub Street and the Chunky Monkeys. She emails the One City, One Story, which was the Boston thing where they printed the 30,000 copies. Perfect. Um, she says, you know, things like, and I mean, she's going in. She is writing things like, why did this supposedly supportive, equitable community have to say about this plagiarism? She emailed the Breadloaf Writing Conference in Vermont, where <laughs> Larson once had a Scholarship. What would they do if one of their scholars had discovered was discovered to have plagiarized? On the grounds of privacy, Breadloaf wouldn't tell Don Dorland if the kindlist was if the kindest was part of like Larson's application for the scholarship. Right. Um, but uh it didn't matter because Dorland still found like pretty much any organization or publication that Sonia Larson had ever submitted to. Great. And send them these emails saying Sonia Larson is a plagiarizer. She stole wow. the story. When the Boston book Festival, which was part of what did one city one story this thirty thousand thing. Uh huh. Um, they told her that they were not. concerned They already discussed this with Sonia, and they were not concerned. Uh, that is when Don lawyered up. Oh, she went and
1: nuclear. Ha-
0: yeah, and had her lawyer, uh, had her lawyer Jeffrey Cohen, send a cease and desist demanding that they hold off like sending out the kindest until they could agree on like a pop proper attribution that mentioned Don oh. and her kidney donation. <laughs> oh no, no, yeah. Dawn. So it went back and forth. Uh then of course Larson hired her own lawyer. Um, said that basically uh Dawn. That, that Dawn was committing harassment and tortious interference, which is a fancy way of saying using a lawyer to kind of gum things be up a for bitch. somebody. Yeah, yeah, be awful. But the issue is that once Don Dorland found that audible, like that audio version from yeah. 2016, that was real proof of plagiarizing. So that is what uh Dorland's lawyer uses them to uh, to ask for $10,000 from Sonia Larson. To this point, Sonia Larson has been paid for the kindest uh, a grand total of $405 in um, competition winnings. So uh, One City, One Story (laughs) writes to Sonia and says that they can't accept the, the legal liability of potentially sending this story out. Right. While Don's lawyers are constantly like every time like they agree to like a new attribution. Yeah the lawyer's like well this isn't good enough and so then they printed like a new attribution and added it into all 30,000 of like the leaflets and then the lawyer's like well I don't know if this is gonna be enough for my client to like feel satisfied so they write a letter to Sonia Larson and they say you should have never submitted this story to us (laughs) you've opened us up to huge legal liability we now have to cancel the festival because we cannot we are now just basically taking a loss on these 30,000 copies that we've printed we can't send them out without potentially being sued and we don't have enough money to reprint them. You have ruined this for everybody. Oh. And we will not be working with you. Oh, no. So now who do you think is the bad art friend?
1: The first one, again. It's complicated, Is right? I don't
0: get it. Yeah. I know. With both. So, yeah, so that, I mean, honestly, I just feel like this is a story of, like, two assholes who just, like, couldn't talk together, talk to each other and fucking mediate. Right. And, I mean, I think that Dawn has gone, like, really off the deep end, but she, she is also, like, really kind of shitty yeah like uh she at one point says what she made like it, when asked about um the fact that she did copy the letter and the letter was something it was written um and it was written by don hmm. uh sudden legend's response is she wasn't creating she didn't make art it was the equivalent of a of a grocery store list oh oh <laughs> And it was like, okay, do, yeah, we're trying I, to be on your side and you're being on. a real fucking asshole. I feel
1: like this is like if Stephanie Meyer got caught in an altercation.
0: Right. <laughs> um, so anyway, so this took over fucking Twitter and everybody had an opinion on who was the bad art friend. Uh-huh. Um, you know, there was real team Sonia, team, team Don. Um, and then of course there was like the inevitable takes of just like, uh, I think the real bad art friend is like the guy that got paid like 20 grand to write this story about. About, yeah. like, two women who are <laughs> swimming each other into the ground. Um, <laughs> but what I think is like the most interesting thing about it is that like <laughs> yeah, if Sonia hadn't been so awful to Dawn, like I understand why she thinks that her story is different enough. Like she did not write a story about a woman coming to the idea of donating her own kidney to no one. Yeah. Like she really, it really does feel like she was inspired. <laughs> she was like, oh my God, like what a thing is- did Insane! This insane woman that I don't like <laughs> just did something that I something so selfless that I could never imagine doing it. Well, yeah. What a weird contradiction that's, of feelings! But that's why she really fucked up. Was stealing the fucking that letter. was so stupid, and it's so hard for me to imagine. Like I am not even like I'm like I'm nowhere near the level of like so I'm much closer to, like a level of a Don Dorland than a sonia Larson. I cannot imagine doing something that silly. Right. Like that is the thing that you learn that you will get expelled in college for doing. Like yeah. you just don't even touch it. You just don't even touch a control paste. Don't even think about it. A copy paste. Yeah. Like, I just don't understand how you make that kind of unforced error. Uh, so then this is the funniest conclusion I can think of to the bad art friend discourse. Okay. Is that uh, after this article came out, the New Yorker, who would have never had grounds to this otherwise, decides to publish a review of The Kindest. Perfect. Because they're like, their grounds are, uh, well, if like this entire thing is like an argument or a discourse around like the creative merit of, um, or like the like the topic of inspiration, and Sonia Larson's like chief argument is that what she was doing had creative merit, and what Don Dorland was doing did not have creative merit. Then it is then it is worth it to like discuss the creative merit of that right. Story. It's within all, and yeah right. It's and within our rights to like do it. New Yorker fuck rips that story apart, and like they do <sighs> so in exactly the way that like it would hurt somebody like Sonia Larson, who is like by all accounts sort of like a like a literary like prestige person. Because they're basically like, um, yeah, I mean the ideas are cool, but like the prose is really lacking. Um, this person doesn't have a strong <laughs> command over like story. Oh, like man. just like really kind of just dress her down as like a sophomoric, like not real writer. Um and I was like, oh, you can absolutely tell who they think is the better. <laughs> Wow So that is the story of A kidney A pity And 12 chunky monkeys A pity And 12 chunky monkeys Dude I
1: loved it I I'm gonna I'm just You know what 25 points Holy shit Yeah I'm throwing it at you Can you catch it
0: I'm gonna catch it In my Habsburg jaw Like perfect well i will give you you know what when i told that story about connor's friend getting too high and being like, i need need step sibling porn to stop i never thought that you would be like i'm playing in this space with you that
1: i'd be like hey guess what
0: guess what so i'm gonna give you 10 points for that
1: thank you i'm gonna
0: give you this is kind of like out of bounds a little bit but i'm gonna give you an additional five points for being a good sport about uh me explaining how you get your pussy burned out. thank you so much i do appreciate Uh, that (laughs) i will i think i I will have to take away a couple points. Yeah. Because you said some really neat things about King Charles and I know that like you were just copy pasting them from Wikipedia. Like being ugly and impotent. Yeah, but being ugly and small and impotent. (laughs) And that was kind of mean mean to say about somebody. That's fair. So I'll take a couple points off for that if I'm being totally honest. Two points. Yeah, like two points off. Okay.
1: That's fair. Yeah. I mean it wasn't the nicest. No. Um is that yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I'm sitting on one thousand and forty nine and you are chasing me. at one thousand twenty three. I'll get there. Coming up, coming up. I got to. But I really did love that topic. That was that was very fun. Very fun. I
0: highly recommend that you read the article. It bonks. It sort of played in my head like
1: a um, Great British Bake Off controversy. Like Uh I can just see them fighting over like. But there's also baking goods around them.
0: Well, there's a lot more detail, you know, that I obviously couldn't get into. Because uh, it's a very long article. But that is like that is like the overarching structure. If if you were listening at home and you were like, I saw people tweet about bad art friend, but I was not gonna interact, or New York Times locked me out with like the paywall bullshit. Sure, this is what the article was about.
1: Yeah. I think I saw a thing that was like what the New York Times doesn't understand is that I will simply walk away.
0: Yeah. Like I will <laughs> just simply not know stuff. Right. If you
1: hit me with a paywall, I'm gonna say absolutely no.
0: It's like I understand that like they are they are providing a service Mm. that costs money to make and I get that but also but also there's just something so dark sided about the idea (laughs) of like only people with money having access to information that like makes me like a little ill yeah it's Uh, disgusting so yeah it's gross
1: (laughs) you heard it here first (laughs) yeah well thank you so much for listening to this episode of what Chelsea where can people find you
0: people can find me at Chelsea Harfush literally wherever internets are sold
1: and you can find me at Ellie Main on Instagram and Ellie mainly on twitter and you can find this podcast at what on twitter instagram patreon facebook and redbubble and if you want to send us an email the address is those two girlsclub a ghost just knocked on our door and that was real spooky and it's time for us to leave bye-bye bad, oh huh? so maybe this week
0: you should go learn something and i think if you're chip and you're outside the door and you're you know having mm. a little fit maybe yeah. you should keep it loose yeah keep it tight say your prayers at night buddy he won't he won't lie.